Welcome to the fifth episode of our new series, the a War Report, again focusing on the Russo-Ukrainian War. This podcast, along with all other A&E podcasts, are part of Northern Provisions, LLC. This podcast is also sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop, home of the tools, the tactical handbook for unit leaders, available at megearco.com and Amazon as well. Use code ANE. 2021 for a discount added to your cart on the Mission Essential Gear website. Also check out the Freelancers, that's a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters. Find them on Twitter at CBT Freelancers, Instagram at Freelancers Blog, and their website at freelancersconflictblog.wordpress.com. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze educate or buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate. And lastly, I want to give a huge thank you to Kyle Larson for all his help recently, especially with uh, helping me research and gather information on the war uh, really ever since it began. So again, huge thank you to Kyle and we will hop into the news. The invasion is now in its 138th day. Over 8.8 million Ukrainians have fled the country as refugees at one point, with 4.4 million alone fleeing to Poland. 1.5 million have gone to Russia, and almost 1 million have gone to Hungary. It is believed that some refugees have since returned home from abroad, but it's not clear how many. In June, year-on-year inflation in Ukraine jumped to 21.5% compared to 18% in May, according to the State Statistics Service of Ukraine. This is the largest inflation raise since March 2016, when inflation was 20%. Ukraine's central bank has hiked interest rates to 25% in order to combat the issue. Russia is continuing to prosecute its civilians who spread what it calls false information regarding the military and the special military operation. On July 8th, a Moscow municipal councillor named Alexei Gorinov was sentenced to seven years in prison for spreading, quote, knowingly false information about the Russian military. It's not clear exactly what he said. The U.S. government has identified 18 separate filtration camps in Russian-controlled areas. The purpose of these camps are to process Ukrainians for deportation and force resettlement inside Russia, according to the U.S., The New York Times cited an unnamed U.S. official in saying that Russia set up these camps prior to the invasion. Ukrainian forces have reestablished effective control over all of Sumy Oblast and from the oblasts of Chernev and Kiev all the way to the north with the border of Belarus. Much of Kharkiv Oblast has likely been recaptured and the capital is almost out of Russian artillery range but still not quite, and heavy fighting is going on in the area. Heavy fighting is also continuing in southern Ukraine and in the east, particularly in Donetsk. Despite Russian forces being pushed out of much of northern and northeastern Ukraine, over 20% of the country is currently under Russian occupation, including Crimea and the rebel-held areas that were already held prior to the invasion. Due to heavy personnel losses suffered in the war, Russia is standing up multiple volunteer battalions to deploy to Ukraine. In Nizhny Novgorod, a volunteer tank battalion is being assembled. Volunteers are being offered a six-month contract with the status of combat veteran and other benefits bestowed upon them. Additionally, they'll receive a one-time bonus of 250,000 rubles and 200,000 rubles each month. 
This amounts to roughly 22 and a half US dollars for the entire six month contract. The Institute for the Study of War reports that the Union of Russian Veterans of Afghanistan is registering volunteers for the battalion. It wasn't clear if the group was asking for any volunteers or specifically veterans of the Soviet Afghan war. Russian human rights website gulagu.net reported that in Nizhny Novgorod and Mordovia, prisoners with combat experience are being offered to be let out of prison if they volunteer to deploy to Ukraine. According to the website, on July 6th, 10 men were let out of the number 5 prison colony in Nizhny to go on deployment. The same website wrote that around 50 inmates from the number 6 and number 7 colonies in Rostov Oblast were removed from prison to join the Wagner Group in Ukraine. Keep in mind that these are only reports and they are not confirmed at this time. The United States has sent tens of billions of dollars worth of military equipment and aid to Ukraine since the invasion began on February 24th. This includes Stinger manned portable air defense systems, Javelin, anti-tank guided missiles, other types of anti-armor systems, switchblade loitering munitions, aka suicide drones, and millions of rounds of various types of ammunition. The U.S. has provided Ukraine with M142 HIMARS, multiple launch rocket systems. The M142 is decades ahead of its Soviet-made counterparts and used by Russia, the BM-27 Huragan, and the BM-30 Smirch. Their ability to use guided rockets gives it an edge over those Russian systems. It is also much quicker to reload and have much more modern targeting systems. Ukraine does use the BM-27 and BM-30 as well, but Russian strikes on rocket factories early on in the invasion left their stockpile very depleted. Ukraine has been putting HIMARS to good use ever since introducing them into service, striking multiple Russian command posts and supply depots far beyond front lines. Pro-Russian sources have widely reported the effectiveness of HIMARS, claiming that massive casualties and material losses have been caused uh, beyond the front line. The Biden administration has announced another round of military aid to Ukraine worth $400 million. This now makes $7.3 billion worth of military aid alone sent to Ukraine since the Russian invasion began on February 24th. In this package, Ukraine will receive four more HIMARS systems plus ammunition, 1,000 rounds of M832 Excalibur GPS-guided artillery shells, which are fired by the M777 howitzer, tactical vehicles, counter-artillery battery systems, and additional items as well. This will give Ukraine 12 HIMARS systems, and additionally, the U.S. has trained 100 Ukrainian troops on the use of the system. In light of recent gains made and heavy losses and fatigue that accompanied them, Russian forces have initiated an operational pause to rest and receive replacements in their units. Small-scale offensives continue to keep Ukrainian troops from gaining the initiative in the Donbass, but large-scale offensives have stopped for the time being. As many theorized before the invasion, Ukrainian partisan activity is starting to pick up in occupied areas. Recently, partisans have been targeting supply lines in and outside of the occupied city Melitopol. The city is a major logistics hub and transit point for Russian forces in southern Ukraine. Partisans blew up a rail bridge near occupied Lubanivka between Melitopol and Tokmak on July 3rd, and they also derailed a Russian armored train carrying ammunition near Melitopol on July 2nd. Partisans also destroyed a railway bridge about 25 kilometers north of Melitopol between Novobodanivka and Troitsky on July 7th. 
ISW believes that this will further obstruct Russian resupply efforts from Crimea all the way to Zaporizhia Oblast on the front line. On the 8th, a Ukrainian police officer that collaborated with Russian occupation officials in Kherson Oblast was killed. According to the regional government, the cause of death is unknown at this time, but partisans are suspected. On June 30th, Russian forces evacuated from the famed Zimini Island, also known as Snake Island, after holding the position became untenable for them. Ukrainian air and artillery strikes continue to cause casualties and equipment losses on the island since its capture on February 24th. The evacuation is being described as a major propaganda win for Ukraine, although strategically it really doesn't change the situation that much. On July 4th, Ukrainian SSO, that's their Special Operations Forces, led a mission to secure the island and raise the Ukrainian flag on the island once again after more than four months of occupation. On July 2nd, Ukrainian forces recaptured Ivanivka and Kherson Oblast, and on the 3rd, they also recaptured Lazovia in Kherson Oblast. Heavy fighting is continuing near Kherson City, and Ukrainian troops are getting closer to the city than they've ever been since losing it months ago. Also on the 3rd, Russian forces captured the entirety of Luhansk Oblast after taking the last Ukrainian stronghold in Lysychansk. The city was abandoned by Ukrainian forces after Russian troops began to take ground in the south side of the city, and the city at that point was threatened to the north, east, and south, prompting the retreat to avoid encirclement. Luhansk is the first and only oblast to be entirely captured by Russia since the invasion began. On the 8th, Ukraine's parliament, the Verkhovna Rada, voted to terminate the mandate of pro-Russian businessman and member of parliament, Vadim Novensky. Novensky was a member of the pro-Russian opposition bloc party. The party was banned by the Ukrainian government this past June. He is also the eighth richest man in the country, and on July 6th, he said that he would resign from parliament due to the Russian occupation of Mariupol. He's been critical of the Russian invasion in the past. Also on the 8th, in an address to President Volodymyr Zelensky, Chernyiv Mayor Vyatoslav Atroshenko said that the president's, quote, subordinates were trying to remove him from his position and replace him with their own pick by appointing a head of the Chernyiv military administration. Atroshenko was widely supported in his last election, winning 80% of the vote, and he asked President Zelensky to, quote, intervene in the situation to stop the political attack on him. On the 9th, an explosive device detonated in front of a train in Russia's Bryansk Oblast. On the 9th, an explosive device detonated in front of a train in Russia's Bryansk Oblast. According to Governor Alexander Bogomaz, the blast damaged a train's cabin. It's not clear if there were any casualties or what the train was carrying at that time. Bryansk is 80 kilometers or 50 miles from the border with Ukraine. Attacks inside Russia are becoming more and more commonplace as at least one Ukrainian special forces unit has admitted to carrying out multiple attacks inside Russia, and at the same time, attacks on Russian infrastructure have been carried out by Russian citizens since the invasion began. Russian forces are attempting unsuccessful small-scale offensives northwest of Slovyansk and to the west of Siversk. In the area around occupied Izium, Kharkiv Oblast, they are mining avenues of approach to defend against potential Ukrainian counterattacks. The Luhansk People's Republic claimed the capture of Prihorivka near Siversk, but that has not been independently confirmed.
Russian forces also attempted an offensive south of Bakhmut in Donetsk Oblast, but did not make any confirmed gains. Looking at a map of the front lines, it looks like Russia could be trying to capture Slovyansk and Bakhmut in order to hit the city of Kramatorsk from the north and southwest. Ukrainian forces are continuing to hit Russian supply points well beyond the front lines with HIMARS to ammunition depots that are 50 kilometers west of Luhansk city were hit on the 9th, and that highlights the unmatchable range of HIMARS in this conflict. By the way, Luhansk city has been occupied for years at this point, so that is well, uh, well beyond the front lines. Russian forces are continuing to defend their positions outside of Kharkiv city from Ukrainian counterattacks, and the Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov is attempting to recruit more Chechens to join the National Guard for deployment to Ukraine. He's been using social media to promote the benefits of military service. On June 26th, he announced the formation of four new battalions of Chechnya's component to Rosgvardia. Lastly, Russian officials are continuing to expand their administrative control over occupied areas. In Severodonetsk, an occupation administration has already been established, and the LPR Internal Affairs Ministry has announced that Ivan Kuzov has been appointed as the LPR's new education minister. Kuzov is the former deputy governor of Sevastopol in Crimea. We will take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, we're going to knock out a few questions here. First, from Mr. Horvick. Any insight on how Ukraine is dealing with all the different weapon systems they've been donated? Uh, the best answer I could give is I really have no clue. Um, obviously, they're managing somewhat, somehow. Um, and thankfully, they've been getting training on a lot of these systems, javelins, and laws, howitzers, uh, particularly from the U.S. and HIMARS infantry fighting vehicles. I know they've also been getting a lot of training from the UK. Um, being a maintainer or dealing with logistics in the uh, Ukrainian military, those are two jobs that I would definitely not want. They uh, honestly sound like they're horrible. I guess we'll see how, how they manage when their Western equipment really starts breaking down or um, getting damaged that will give us a better indication of how they're doing with just this massive um, spread of equipment that they have to deal with from tons of countries. Uh, this question really brought to mind a tweet from the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense. I saw this early in the war and uh, it really surprises me still because it's really one of the stupidest tweets I've ever seen. Um, the tweet says, quote, in the sky, the greatest need is for fighter jets, F-16s, and F-15s of the fourth generation or higher would be sufficient, end quote. And, quote, pilots can learn to fly these with just two to three weeks of training, end quote. Um, Ukraine uses Soviet-made aircraft, and they have never operated American aircraft ever, let alone F-15s and F-16s. Training on these aircraft would take months at the very least, and, um, the maintenance for that aircraft is just something Ukraine is absolutely not ready for. Two to three weeks of training is probably just enough training to um, get you shot out of the sky. 
by a Russian missile. And that tweet is honestly just incredibly idiotic. And I'm very surprised that that would come from the defense ministry, which is their equivalent of the Department of Defense. That's like the Pentagon tweeting something really just that um, idiotic. So, yeah, whatever. That that question brought that tweet to mind for me. Uh, question number two from War Murals. And uh, you guys should absolutely give him a follow on Instagram at War Murals, um, especially if you're a veteran. You, I don't know. You might recognize some uh, deployment art or something like that from your time in, but certainly give him a follow. Great page. Question is, how has Russian logistics changed since the early invasion? Well, we saw that their logistics was, uh, frankly, pretty bad when the invasion started. They were constantly getting ambushed behind the front line. They had no fire support. They had no air cover. And uh, they were overstretched, really, because they tried to invade um, the entire north and entire northeast and south of Ukraine. So their uh, supply lines were stretched incredibly thin. Their logistics since then have uh, improved a good amount. Um, they use trains, armored trains to transport troops and equipment. Their convoys get air cover. Their electronic warfare systems are starting to protect units from drones, and the military overall has a lot less territory to work with since they've mostly left northern Ukraine and northeastern Ukraine, right? So in my opinion, going forward, the biggest issues they're going to have is protecting their supplies and stationary units from artillery, particularly U.S.-made artillery. Um, you're talking M777 howitzers that have GPS-guided rounds now, and certainly HIMARS. Um, HIMARS have we're seeing that HIMARS are really starting to have um, a big effect on Russia's supply lines, particularly their ammunition depots and their command and control points. Um, we've seen really tons of strikes in the past couple weeks, multiple strikes a day. And I assume that will continue at least for a little bit. So that's going to be one of their biggest issues as far as their logistics goes. The second issue, in my opinion, is going to be anticipating partisan attacks on supply lines. That's something that is really starting to pick up more in the occupied areas, particularly in southern Ukraine, but also now that we're hearing in Kharkiv as well. So those are going to be uh, big issues for them in the future, again, as far as I'm concerned. Russian military bloggers have been criticizing the military for failing to defend logistics against HIMARS, specifically a former Russian military officer and veteran of the Donbass War, Igor Gherkin, called for leaders in the defense ministry's logistics department to be tried for failing to disperse and camouflage their supply hubs. So this is something that even pro-Russian sources are admitting to, and um, they see it as a big issue. So, yeah, um, think of that what you will. Third question from M. Lopez. Do you think it's still worth it to supply military aid to Ukraine? Honestly, I really don't know. Uh, $7.2 billion, that is a lot of money. And of course, we're going to keep sending them aid, right? It doesn't stop here. Keep in mind, that's only military aid, um, just aid in total. That includes humanitarian aid, aid to keep the government functioning. That's tens of billions of dollars we've given them alone just since Russia's invaded in February. I think we need to ask ourselves how far and how long we're willing to keep this momentum. President Biden says as long as needed, but what does that actually mean for us? Obviously, our um, our country is not in a great position, economically speaking, right? Um, 
as long as needed, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement, especially with our economy just as uncertain as it is right now. Keep in mind, our country's national debt is over $30 trillion, and it's only going up, right? We are not paying off that debt, and we probably won't be anytime soon. We only keep increasing our spending. Um, we spend a lot of money on various things, especially foreign aid. Now, you may not think that our debt or the things we spend taxpayer dollars on are issues. If you don't, that's perfectly fine. You're entitled to your opinion. But some of us think that one day that debt will come back to bite us. So um, just keep all of that in mind. On the other hand, the aid we have provided has definitely made a difference to Ukraine. So it's it's very difficult for me to answer that question. Um, yeah, I just really don't know at this point. Moving on to personnel losses, the United Nations has acknowledged at least 4,889 civilian deaths, while the Ukrainian government has confirmed 4,600 civilian deaths, but believes anywhere from 12,000 to 28,081 have been killed. For Russia, a uh, post that was made on VK, that's sort of like the Russian version of Facebook, uh, Russian media outlet made this post on April 21st. And they claimed that the Kremlin acknowledged 13,414 servicemen killed in action and another 7,000 missing. That post was soon removed thereafter. And again, that was back in April. Not confirmed by any means. Um, and the post was removed. So, yeah, I'll let you think of that what you will. The Russian government has acknowledged at least 3,863 deaths among Russian and separatist servicemen. Those numbers are over a month old. Ukraine states that Russia has suffered over 37,000 killed in action, and the U.S. government estimates that Russian KIAs are at over 16,000. The Donetsk People's Republic recently acknowledged 2,343 uh, KIAs among their servicemen as well. And for Ukraine, the Ukrainian government has acknowledged at least 10,000 soldiers killed. The Russian government claims that over 23,000 Ukrainian personnel have been killed. And the U.S. government estimates that anywhere from 5,500 to 11,000 Ukrainian personnel have been killed. But that estimate is three months old. So, yeah. Visually confirmed equipment losses that is uh, destroyed, abandoned, or captured equipment. Russia has had at least 4,642 equipment losses. Uh, they have had 853 tank losses, and that is enough to fill nine entire tank regiments with about half a regiment to spare, so that's a lot of tanks. For armored fighting vehicles, infantry fighting vehicles, and armored personnel carriers, they have lost 1,540. For fixed-wing aircraft or planes, they've lost 35. They've lost 49 helicopters, 94 unmanned aerial vehicles, 10 naval ships, and two logistics trains. Ukraine has had at least 1,226 equipment losses. They have lost 202 tanks, armored fighting vehicles, infantry fighting vehicles, and armored personnel carriers. They've lost 306. They've lost 29 fixed-wing aircraft, 11 helicopters, 25 UAVs, and 19 naval ships. Keep in mind, um, a lot of what we're seeing from the war on social media is coming from Ukrainian or pro-Ukrainian sources. So obviously they're not going to paint 
uh, the entire picture of Ukraine's equipment or personnel losses. So just keep that in mind. Obviously, there's a big disparity in reported uh, Ukrainian and Russian equipment losses. Now, there could be an actual decent-sized disparity, but um, just keep in mind that these losses are only what's visually confirmed, and we're going to see a lot more losses um, among Russian personnel and Russian equipment because most of this information is coming from pro-Ukrainian sources, right? Obviously, these losses are big for both sides, but again, it's only what we could visually confirm at this point. But that is all I have for you guys. I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. You can find this podcast on your favorite podcast apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, and Pocket Cast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Analyze Educate. And that is all I have for you guys this week. We will see you around.